0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Uh, It is so... I'm excited to come to you again today, and uh, we're in this series, Famous Last Words, the book of Revelation. The Lord woke me up about nine months ago and said, write the revelation of Jesus, and I knew uh, that he was talking about writing songs for, for a new project, and so we might now have about 18 songs uh, for a project that we're going to record this summer called The Revelation of Jesus, every song from the book of Revelation. And so as we got to the top of the year, I just felt like the Lord wanted us, while we're in this process of writing and getting ready to record, to just start mining out the book of Revelation. I like, I think Tanner said it, uh, we, we realize that Revelation is more about the man than the plan. In the opening sentence, it says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, I just remember being afraid to dive in and start digging it out because I hear all of these statements. I have this against you and the judgment and, and all of this dark stuff and locusts as big as helicopters and, and <laughs> these crazy beasts flying in the air and coming up out of the ocean and, uh, and it's kind of frightening. But then as I began to look, I began to re-see I see all of these incredible images of the one we worship. The beauty, every chapter, every page you turn, you you see more of this extraordinary, magnificent God. And so the revelation of Jesus, we want you to see Jesus. And we're just going to keep digging. I don't know how long this is going to go. Next week. Tanner will be coming and he's gonna give us the last word on worship. And then the next week we move into the Passion Week. And so we're gonna kind of, we're still gonna talk about Jesus. We're still gonna talk about Jesus, but we're gonna go uh, the following Sunday, John will be preaching on Palm Sunday. And then uh, I will share on Good Friday, right here in this room, right? Good Friday, we're having a special service. And then on Easter Sunday, I'll be speaking again. And uh, and and then we'll we're still not finished the book of Revelation. I don't know how long this is going to go. The more I dig, the more I love what I see. And so, until the Lord says you're done, we'll just keep going. All right. Yeah. Today, I'm going to share the last word on the church. In uh, this is not on my text. You don't have to pull the scripture up. But in I think it's the 16th chapter of Matthew from about verse 13 through 33, uh, there's Jesus is with his disciples and they come into Caesarea Philippi. And he starts having this discussion with his boys. (laughs) And uh, he says, he asked them this question, who do men say that I am? And they immediately start responding with answers. Some say, you're Elijah. Some say, uh, you're... Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gets an unction and steps up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says this extraordinary statement. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Reveal is from the word revelation. That's where we get revelation. The word reveal. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. An extraordinary statement Jesus makes. Two verses later, he changes the subject and he says, and we're going to go into Jerusalem and this is going to happen. And they're going to, and they will betray the son of man. He'll be handed over to the, to the hands of sinners and he'll be crucified. And Peter pulls him aside, said, Lord, don't say such things. don't, don't, don't say such things. And Jesus says to the man who just declared this incredible revelation, he looks to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. Your mind is not full of the things of God. Peter showed us that when we get a revelation, that doesn't mean that we figured it all out. This was an extraordinary revelation, but Peter still had work that needed to be done in his life. Yeah. Suddenly, he, he he saw, and he declared what he saw, but there's still a part of him that doesn't know how to accept what Jesus is saying. And so then Jesus comes back. Ugh. I mean, here he is, he must have been a proud man when Jesus said this about him in front of all the guys. They're always wanting to know who's the most important and who's going to sit at your right hand. You know, they had arguments about that before, and now Jesus says this about him. And then he turns around on his heels and said, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not full of the things of God. So I want to ask you this morning, what Is your mind full of? There's a theologian, a writer, a professor. His name is David Campbell, and he says this about the church. Friendship will do more for your church than you think. Friendship is the place where the highest and deepest forms of accountability take place. I need to say that. Hear what I'm saying. I wish I'd given them a slide so you could see it, so it can get imprinted in your mind. Friendship will do more for your church than you think. Friendship is the place where the highest and deepest forms of accountability take place. He also said, and what I love about this is I'm preparing to speak about the church, and I start seeing social media posts of different people uh, making posts about the church. Isn't it, interesting, isn't it interesting what the Spirit is saying? How when he speaks, he speaks. Yeah, yeah. and. And and, and if people are tapping into what he's saying, they all hear the same thing. And so this week, it just happens to be about the church. I love the second uh, post that he made. One of the greatest tragedies in church is when we have a multitude of superficial acquaintances and a drought of real friends. The church was designed by Jesus to be the most relational place on earth. The place where friendship flourishes and no one is left alone. And then I saw a post just a couple days ago, Darlene Check posted this. I love this. She's and her husband are now pastoring in a church. She was with Hillsong for... Decades and then a few years ago, they launched out like we did and started a church. She posted this stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent again, and then repent again. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from our relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. I love that. Some of us have been hurt so bad that we have our guard up and we're not gonna let anybody hurt us again. We can smell the hurt coming. We can see those that hurt and we try to stay away from them. And perhaps God is drawing you to them. Okay, let's keep going. Psalm 110, my first text. Psalm 110 verse three, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now I wanna read this next one, Revelation 120. I am still in the first chapter of Revelation and I don't apologize. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So I want to say a few things. I was sharing some of this with Nicole and when I said this first sentence, she kind of stopped me and like, what, 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 what did you just say? The gospel... Is never for individuals, but always for a people. Sin fragments us, separates us, and sentences us to solitary confinement. The gospel restores us, unites us and places us in community with people. The life of faith revealed in a biblical perspective is highly personal, but never individual. Always there is a family. Always there is a tribe, a nation. A church. God's love and salvation is experienced in the congregation of his people. Not in the garden alone. And I wrote that down, I thought, I don't want to throw a stone at a sacred cow. I love the old hymn, I come to the garden alone. I don't want to suggest to you when when, when we talk about individualism that God doesn't call you to draw away and get rid of the distractions. And, 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 and he doesn't come to you and visit you on a personal, private level, he does. But in every case, he visits a man or a woman. It's not to speak to them as an individual as much as it is to give them a message for his people. Yeah, so it's always about people. So it comes as no surprise to find that John's vision is not a private encounter to compensate for his miserable exile. It is for the seven churches that are in Asia. Revelation 1-4, all revelation is for the church. The gospel pulls us into a community One of the immediate changes that happen with the gospel is grammatical. It changes how we say things. It changes it from we, it changes it to we instead of I. Our instead of my. Us instead of me. Sin will drive us into selfishness. Separation from God becomes separation from people. I learned this when I was just a young man. There was a family in our church, a couple that I was friends with. This was years before I even uh, got married. But there was a, a couple that I was close to. And any time they would withdraw from God, they would disappear from church. And if you see it once, then you can recognize it again and again and again. That's not to, to say that when people don't come, I'm not asserting to you that people that aren't present today are for some reason in sin. Some of them are still watching online. <laughs> the same salvation that restores us into relationship with God reinstates us into the community of his people every tendency to become private distorts the gospel the bible tells nothing of the soul that is alone Except when it brings a companion to someone. He said to Adam, It's not good that man should be alone. In Revelation chapter 1, the opening lines call down a blessing on him who reads and those, plural, those who listen and keep the words. It is assumed. That Revelation, the book of Revelation, will be read and heard in church. The idea that individuals would take the scrolls and go read them in the privacy of their own room is just not even imagined. When I make this kind of statement, when I make these kind of statements, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't take our Bible and read it for ourselves. We certainly should. But... When Revelation was written, the indication wasn't that it was going to be uh, printed in their day and they would take it and read it privately, but it was intended to be read in the company of people. It's always an act of community, never a private exercise. A believing community of people is the context for the life of faith. Love cannot exist in isolation. Away from other people, love turns into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it gets perverted and turns into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from a community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasy. No gift, no virtue can develop or remain healthy apart from the church, the community of people. Outside the church, there is no salvation. that's not said from a a place of spiritual arrogance, but more spiritual common sense. When people attempt to live in defiance to this truth, they become spiritually impoverished. I just have to say with respect, But in the life of my own mother, mom was an introvert on steroids. (laughs) She did not like people. And she withdrew from community and stayed home. And she lived years in sickness, years unable to function like a normal human. And I think it's completely tied to her. And as a kid, I didn't realize what was happening. There's people go through circumstances and mom had her own uh, set of circumstances that caused her to function and think like she thought from horrible abuse and uh, that we didn't know about until we were adults but she withdrew from the community of people and became impoverished, suffered for years. And then finally, she was a woman of prayer. She prayed all the time. The Lord spoke to her. So when I, when I tell you that, I tell you from experience, from watching it with my own eyes. Submitting to the truth that I'm telling you, uh, you'll begin to flourish. When you are planted, only when a man or a woman is planted into a house, into the soil of community, will they begin to flourish. Talking about the church today, what it means, what it represents. And God, please understand, I am not pointing a finger at anybody that might not be here today. <laughs> I'm just giving you truth about life in the kingdom of God and where the flourishing comes as we're connected. the, the, the word says, uh, Jesus taught in the 14th chapter of John, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. The better translation, that, to, to that portion of scripture, and again, I don't want to throw a stone at anybody's sacred cow, but the real translation, the re- throw the stone, Nicole said. The real translation says, there are many, my father's house is made up of many houses. Paul wrote that we are living stones that make up the house of the Lord. We are many members fitly joined together by what every joint supplies. Every joint brings something to this equation that is the, the ecclesia, the church. There are always times in the life of faith when it seems better to go it alone. In John's day, it was politically dangerous to assemble together, yeah. a private faith would have been safer and more convenient. Yeah, yeah. But they gathered anyway. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. There's a little subtle thing happening right there, when we that when the intention of the dark world is to separate the church. I I, I will not get political, but what we have experienced this last year is a demonic strategy to shut us down. And then sometimes it's a bore to be with other people. Don't we all have those people that when you come to church, you see them, you go the other way? I can't, they grate on me. I can't, I can't stand to be around unimaginative people. They, they, I, I just can't. I just, and and we do that, right? Faith, when someone is a believer, it doesn't necessarily make that person more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But the Bible consistently challenges our aloneness. It is not good, he said in Genesis, that man be alone. He said, Moses wrote about it. I will make your seed as the sand of the sea. Yeah. He was he was referring to Abraham, and uh, he he said forsake in the New Testament. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Yeah. When you pray, Jesus said, say, our Father. Yeah. Hear the language. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Bear one another's burdens. The very life of faith is developed under the image of the Trinity in the context of community. Even the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are a community. When John turned Toward the trumpet voice that commanded his attention, the first thing he saw was seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches to which he was the pastor. Then in their midst, he saw the one like the Son of Man. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, who was Jesus. Christ is never seen apart from the church. He's never seen apart from the gathered, listening praying, believing, worshiping people. It is not possible to have Christ apart from the church. Wow. And, and that, but what about, what, just stop with the whatabouts. Yes, God will draw you. The spirit will draw you. When you can be anywhere and the spirit of God will draw you. But when he draws you, it's not to leave you to yourself. It's always to pull you into fellowship yes. with brothers and sisters. We try to do this. We would very much like to have him apart from the contradictions and distractions we see in other people. Yeah. People who say they believe in him. So we try to isolate ourselves. And we have good reason. We think this is a good reason to separate ourselves from that person. <laughs> we want a Christ who is pure goodness, beauty, and truth. We'd like to put as much distance as possible from the indifferent, the fussy people who somehow always end up at church. We are hot after God, but we're cool after the church. You might want to get your little Twitter app open and say that again so you can do the little hashtag. We are hot after God, but cool after the church. People want to nurture their faith in God instead of gathering with a company of saints who still look and act a lot more like sinners. And they do because we're flawed people. <laughs> I heard Ellen say it on her show once. Uh, well, Ellen didn't say it, she, she interviewed this old woman. She does these random phone calls and she's talking with this old woman from Austin, Texas and said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. <laughs> um, that's not what I'm declaring to you today. That's what John would declare to you, John Brockman. <laughs> I'm not gonna say, never mind, I'll just leave it alone. I'm not gonna say I never have. When I have, I would get upset and I'd go out in the garage where nobody could hear me and I would just. <laughs> you, you too, Barry, you too. <laughs> He's a garage cusser too. But to all of this, the gospel says, right to the seven churches. We would prefer to go from this awesome vision of Christ straight to the ecstasies of his glory in Revelations 4 and 5. Or uh, on to the battle with the dragon. This victorious battle that God has. We want to go straight to chapters 13 and 14. But you can never, we can't do that until you negotiate the church first. We just can't do it. The church has to be negotiated first. The only way from Christ to heaven and the battle against sin is through the church. And not just one church, seven churches. Jesus, that mean we're going to get seven campuses? I don't know. Um, A reading of the seven messages to the seven churches makes it clear that church uh, is, is when you you read this and you see the condition of the church, it, it makes it clear that church is not a spiritual hierarchy, but simply a geographically, Identified assembly of ordinary people. These churches are not referred to in terms of their character or greatness, but by location. Ephesus. Smyrna. There's a city in Tennessee called Smyrna. I have friends who live there. Pergamum. I don't know anybody living in Pergamum. Thyatira, that I almost to, I had this friend, we always called her Aunt Thyra. Her name is Thyra. I always think of Thyra when I read Thyatira. Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. The seven cities are, laid, are located on a Roman postal route in what is now modern day Turkey. Each of these cities. These locations can be found on a map, and each one of them um, has been excavated by archaeologists. But while the churches are located geographically, they are defined theologically. A church, this is the same for us, a church is composed of people who live in a particular town, Eat food bought at the local markets, work at jobs provided by the economy, and speak a common language. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. Some of us have multiple languages, languages that we can speak. Kev, do you speak Spanish too? Yeah. See, Dilo, I know, speaks Spanish. Uh, speak you speak in tongues? I speak pig Latin. <laughs> Anna, how many languages? Smart Alex, she speaks five. Uh, These churches are built on something apart from the conditions of the culture, the politics, namely the person of Jesus Christ. God makes the church the Holy Spirit breathes on our chaos and makes a people, a church. Each of the seven churches and every church since is only defined by Christ. Apart from Christ, these churches would have location but no identity. Apart from Christ, we'd be just a group of people at the Marriott. But with the presence of Christ, we are people that dwell in the presence. We are a church, we are a community of lovers of Jesus. The Ephesian church gets its identity from, if you go through chapters two and three, uh, the Ephesian church gets its identity from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The church in Smyrna gets its identity from the first and the last who was dead and lives. This is what John wrote to each one of them. This is what the Spirit spoke to them. The church in Thyatira got its identity from eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like bronze. The church in Sardis got its identity from He, from him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The Philadelphian church gets its identity from the holy and the true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut and shuts and no one can open. The Laodicean church gets its identity from the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. There is no church apart from Christ. These images that we get of the vision that John saw in Revelation 1 define The churches in Revelation 2 and 3. It's impossible to discover the nature of a church through sociology. I don't care what company you hire to come and do an analysis of your church and tell you you're this kind of church, you're you're a diverse church. You're a destination church. You're a community church. I mean, they can, they can do some things, but they will not give you your identity. Your identity only comes through Christ. They can tell you what to do, how to make it better. Some people, some of these companies come have never pastored a church and try to tell you how to pastor a church. Y'all may not even know what I'm talking about but there are companies. I'll get off of that. Paul and John both wrote seven letters to seven churches. Seven churches summarize all churches. Every church is located in a specific place. All churches exist under the conditions of the geography, the politics, and the economics. And each church is visible. At the same time, Every church gets its identity in Christ, but the church is invisible to all who close their eyes to the one like the son of man. You ever been to that church? We don't have time for that. We got announcements to make, we got coffee to serve. the lobby and we got offering to take so we don't have time for worship stop meddling just stop. stop 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 apart from Christ the one we see in this vision we are nothing but a society of pious or not so pious it's Pious is kind of a what, faithful, constant people, you know, so sometimes you get constant loyal and sometimes you get not so constant and loyal people. <laughs> While all churches get their identity from Christ, each congregational identity is partial, each church is defined by only a piece of the vision only a piece of the revelation no single congregation exhibits the wholeness of christ it is not possible to look at one individual church and find the entire representation of christ although we can be led in that direction in that place of wholeness as we listen to what the spirit says to the churches one phrase is repeated again and again to the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whatever differences there are between the churches, two things are constant. The Spirit speaks and people listen. Two things are constant. The Spirit speaks and people listen. The church assembles people to whom Jesus keeps his promises with. John 16, you guys, I didn't give you the scripture. Don't even think about pulling it up. He said, I will send him the counselor, the comforter to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. For that promise to be completed, there must be listening ears, attentive to the Spirit-spoken words. Listening is the common task of the church. Listening. I'm going to say it again and get a drink of water. Oh, Lord, it's like it's March and allergies have kicked in. And with that comes the itchy throat. And the only remedy for the itchy throat is Benadryl. And what Benadryl causes is a dry mouth and a sore throat when you try to sing. Did y'all notice today? I was was having a hard time getting it out. I was just baiting you for a compliment, thanks. (laughs) I promise you, I'm close. I'm very close. Churches are listening posts, listening centers. We say we're a presence center. We're also a listening center. Listening is a spiritual act as much as any acoustic function we we may have. Expensive equipment does not improve listening. It only makes hearing possible because listening so frequently decays into just hearing. Listening is focused hearing. I'll be, Nicole, she's like, she wishes she could be like this, but there can be all kinds of noise in the house and I can be sitting with the book, focused on my book, while all this noise is happening around me and I can just stay focused right in my book. She can't do that. She makes us all shut up. <laughs> she can't even talk on the phone if we're making noise and she always does this thing. There can be no church apart from listening. The last word spoken to every church was, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. From Genesis, and God said, let there be. To Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The personal word is central And therefore, the personal act of listening is essential. Mouths speak in order that ears may hear. (laughs) The hearing that begins at the physical level becomes a spiritual response. When it does not, Isaiah called, he said in Isaiah 6 that we have heavy ears. Isaiah 50 says, morning by morning, he wakens. He wakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. It was promised in Isaiah 35 when the messianic age would dawn that ears of the deaf would hear. And when it actually did dawn, one of the conspicuous things that happened in Mark 7, Jesus opened up deaf ears. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same parable of the sowing seed on the good ground, the stony ground, and the, and, the, and the soil with weeds. And it had everything to do, when Jesus explained the parable to the disciples, he says the good ground is when people received, they listened, they heard the word, And it was planted in good soil and it flourished. But when it was planted on the snowy ground, they accepted it gladly, but the weeds choked it out. It had everything to do with hearing. And Jesus completed this parable with, he who has ears, let him hear. So he writes the letters. Write what you see and hear. So the journey begins. Maybe this is where we should have had Tanner began the message on the letters. Ephesus was the loveless church. Smyrna was the persecuted church. Pergamos was the compromising church. Thyatira was the corrupt church. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. And Laodicea was the lukewarm church. Yeah. I, I, I found a commentary yesterday uh, from Revelation two. I want to read the commentary. This is this, it sets us up to read, begin to read chapter two. As the story unfolds, we're told that the lampstands signify the churches. During harsh times of persecution, the faithful often wonder where their master is. Is he even aware of what they are experiencing? John's vision confirms what the gospel already teaches. Jesus is present with them, even in their suffering, moving among those who dare to bear the light. Lampstands, of course, are not the light. They only Carry the light, the true light that has come into the world is none other than Jesus, the Son of Man. So I just encourage you to read. Go home and read chapters 2 and chapter 3 today. I like the message translation. It makes it more conversational. Then I read this commentary leading into chapter 3. For centuries... Many Jews had been scattered throughout the known world, exiled to the lands east of the Jordan River from the promised land by powerful invading nations. After Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70, even more Jews left Judea. This time crossing the Mediterranean, looking for some place far from Roman cruelty. That's why, as John writes these letters to the churches in Asia Minor, he recalls some of the most infamous characters from Israel's past, Balaam, Balak, and Jezebel. It's all there. It's it's so great to read these chapters and see the Old Testament uh, references. The ordeals facing John's churches are not all that different from those Israel faced hundreds of years before. Many of the same struggles plague churches in the West to this day. The names may change, but the problems confronting God's faithful do not. So I wrote this song. Can I sing you a song Church of Christ style? Church of God in Christ has the organ plan, the B3. Church of Christ is where they don't have instruments. Church of Christ, they don't have instruments. He who has the ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And the singers will echo. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. He who has the eyes to see how the spirit wants to move. And the singers echo, move, Lord, move, Lord, move, Lord. Have seven verses for the seven churches. Verse one to Ephesus. You have been so strong. You have worked so hard. The striving and the strain won't take you very far. Return to me, return to me, my people, return to me. Verse 2, this was to the Smyrna church. You're wealthy, you've had plenty, but you've endured so much. Just brave the accusations. Be faithful till you've won. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, my people. Don't be afraid. Verse 3. I know what you've done. I see where you've been. And I want you to know this is not the end. Just change your ways. Change your ways. My people, change your ways. Verse four, you had good intentions, then you were led astray. So tear down all the idols and my love will remain. Keep the faith, keep the faith. My people, keep the faith. Verse five, can you still remember the visions and the dreams? Before the world has changed you, before you fell asleep, oh, wake up, wake up, my people, please wake up. Verse 6, I know your strength is fading, but you've been here before. You hold the key of David that opens every door. So hold on. Hold on, my people. Hold on. And then verse 7. You've been in the middle. You can't decide what's true. I'm standing in the doorway, but I won't force myself on you. Will you let me in? Let me in, my people. Let me in. Twelve Church, hear the Spirit calling. Will you let me in? Let me in, my people. Let me in. Yes, Lord, we can hear you. We surrender as we wait. So come Lord, come Lord. So I'm gonna end with this. This is the danger, the church attracts to itself people who like to live in the atmosphere of the holy, but have little interest in being holy themselves. They find delight in working on committees and find security in ordering their lives within the traditions of their fathers. They're faithful in showing up to church on Sunday and built up by listening to the instruction of the leaders, but they have no appetite for the holiness of God. And Jesus says to this, I have this against you. What's beautiful about the seven letters is I remember on the other side of this uh, journey into Revelation, Just only seeing the negative statements. I have this against you. I'm going to come take your lampstand away. But as I dug deep, I realized to all seven churches, he gave an invitation to restore you to the place you once were. Return to your first love. Will you let me in? Just hold on. Keep the faith. It is God's will that we have a church. The life of faith always and necessarily takes place in a community of people who are located somewhere in time and a particular place. The geography is important just as much as the study of Jesus. But we must see the fire blazing eyes of the one like the son of man, whose voice is like many waters. There is no evidence in all of ancient Israel or in any of the pages of the New Testament that the churches then were ever much better or much worse than they are today. A random selection of seven churches in any century, including ours, would turn up something very much like the seven churches to which John pastored. But this is God's intention. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. The intention of God. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Yeah. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray. Father, we dig and we dig and we dig, and and we hear what you're saying. Uh, sometimes we read and we just kind of scurry past without. Grasping what it is you're saying. Help us to grip the word. Help us to get a firm hold on the word. Let us have ears to hear what you're saying to the church. Give us eyes to see what you're showing us. God, we desire to do great exploits for you in your kingdom. We have the promise that these signs will follow them that believe. So we want to be the best believers. We want to be the best listeners so that all of these characteristics of your church will manifest in our lives. Lord, we can walk down the street or walk through the aisle of a grocery store and our shadow can have the same effect that Peter's did. God, may we be people transformed by the fire in your eyes. May we see it. Lord, if we can't see it in the daytime, show us your face in our dreams. Let us encounter you. We say, yes, we will be your people. Yes, we will return to you. Yes, we will hold on. We will keep the faith. We'll open up the door of our heart and let you in. We are your church. We're just one church, dwell church. We're a presence center. We love your presence. That is the main thing in our lives. But help us to be a community of people, of people that love one another. We are lovers of Jesus, but help us to also love one another. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.